Pulse Audio Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Whining About History, a podcast where two longtime gal pals sip wine and talk about women from history you may not have heard of. I'm Kelly. I'm Emily. And I'm super jazz. It's week two of Pride Month. I know. I'm really excited. Like, my research has been really fun. I so last week was kind of a downer. We covered Marsha P. Johnson, Sylvia Rivera, and their stories were really inspiring, but super frustrating. Yeah, and like heartbreaking. So many what the fuck moments. <laughs> and so I really wanted to find someone where I was just like, this gal's a fucking firecracker. I'm so jazz. And I knew I wasn't going to find anything that was like, no, this person's life was totally positive the entire time because there's no, like, woman's history story that ends up like that. Right. But I'm really excited to talk about my gal today. Yeah, I am too. I'm totally jazzed. I like how we end up on the same page a lot. Right. It's like <laughs> we're synced up. Our hearts are synced up, Kelly. Our, our hearts are on our the same cycle. Our waves. Our hearts bleed at the same time a month. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay, so I picked out the wine today, and I picked out uh, Kung Fu Girl Riesling, primarily just because the name, Kung Fu Girl. It sounds really badass. Yeah, it does. And even though the back of the bottle only has a government warning that says that pregnant women shouldn't drink, I was like, that's not very exciting to read. So I did go on their website, and I found a description of the wine. It takes an unconventional winemaker to make a totally unexpected dry Riesling. Yeah, this shit is dry. One night, Charles was eating Chinese takeout and watched a fight scene in a notorious martial arts film when he had an idea. A killer white wine made to be paired with Asian food. Just like that, Kung Fu Girl was born. And it's been kicking ass and taking names ever since. I guess I could see this being paired with Asian food. Oh, yeah. The, like, the sour would go really well with Asian food, I think. I'm feeling a little guilty. So this is uh, this is a wine from Charles Smith Wines. And I'm just imagining, I don't know who Charles Smith is, but I'm just imagining this white dude sitting on his couch, eating Chinese food, watching a martial arts movie and going, I'm going to make a white wine and call it Kung Fu Girl. It's going to go with Asian food. Like, I don't know. It just seems like a weird thing to me. No, I agree. Like, it's it's very, like, Americanizing. Yeah, which, I mean, God, that's what Chinese food is nowadays. Right. So maybe it works. I don't know. I'm feeling a little guilty about buying the wine now. <laughs> but just, yeah, I love the idea fine. of this badass girl who's just going around kicking everyone in the nuts. <laughs> of course, that would be your image. Oh, yeah. No. Because even even on the on the label, it's it's very abstract because it's like a white label and then Kung Fu Girl in black, and you see like the outline of the girl's face and hair, and then her hands are kind of like in a fighting stance. And it's like you're not even gonna fucking see her coming, and then she's gonna grab you by the throat and smash the patriarchy. Boom. Yeah, that sounds about right. Love it. So where are we cheersing to today? Why are you making me pick? Because I didn't want to pick. Um... <laughs> Cheers to finally having a nice weekend, because it's yes. not supposed to rain. Cheers to that. Clank. I know I've probably said that before, but it's actually not supposed to rain this weekend. Here's the thing. In Minnesota, nice weather is a God-given gift, and you do not... Squander it. Exactly. There was... So this... Um, on Memorial Weekend, it was super beautiful every day except for m Monday. Yeah. Yep. Which was fine because I didn't want to do shit on Monday anyway. I was tired. But I, like, went out and I was outside as much as humanly possible. Oh, yeah. I did, like, a ton of gardening and stuff. Yeah. Like, took the dogs to the dog park twice, doing work outside, walking around. It was amazing. And then, the, and then most of this week has sucked as far as weather. It got better, but. Yeah, I suppose. So before we uh, dive into our gals, I have a say their name. So say their name is when we uh, profile people who are doing awesome and amazing things just in general. They're not going to get their whole a whole episode, but we want to give them a shout out. And this week is 
Patty Hall. So Patty Hall is the president and co-founder of the charity H2O for Life. And they're in an organization that raise awareness for the water crisis and work to bring uh, fresh water to communities that don't have it. And I'm just going to read a little snippet from their website. It doesn't tell the whole story, but it gives you a general overview. H2O for Life provides a service learning opportunity for schools in the United States that helps teachers and students raise awareness about the global water crisis while taking action to provide funds for a water, sanitation, and hygiene education project for a partner school in the developing world. And oh, you, that's really cool. Yeah, and you can go on their site, and they've even got, like, um, fundraising goals for different schools that they're trying to help out. And you can see, like, hey, this is how much more money we need to do the project for oh, the school, you can really donate. Cool. And then something else they do is um, some of the, the women in the communities where they supply water and get fresh water make these uh, beads and they make them into bracelets and they sell the bracelets to help raise money for these efforts. So my dad actually knows Patty and he bought me a bracelet oh, to really? support her. Yeah, so I've got that. It's really beautiful. And, the, like, he's telling me the story. And I'm like, this is so fucking cool. And this is a woman who I have, like, a degree of separation with who's going out there and getting shit done. Yeah, that, that's amazing. And she's not just uh, working to help communities in the developing world, but she's, like, doing the work at home, too. Like, hey, we need to raise awareness because we need more people to take up this mission. So, yeah. Patty Hall, cheers to you. Second cheers. Clink. Clink. This Riesling is really dry. It's it's very sour. It was so funny because Kelly uh, was about to take a sip and she goes, I know I'll like this. It's a Riesling. And instantly I'm like, Kelly, you fucked us. <laughs> <laughs> One sip and she's like, I don't know about this. It's not bad. No, it's 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 really not. Well, and, like, if you think about uh, Asian takeout food, that's usually got pretty strong taste. So maybe something a little more mellow in a wine is best. I don't know. You know, we'll get this another time and we'll have Asian food and then we'll be able to give you an accurate report. Yeah. That sounds good. Okay. So I'm going to start diving into my lady, oh, who I'm very do. excited about. So today I am covering Gladys Bentley, Harlem Renaissance entertainer. Oh. Yes. So we're going to go all the way back to August 12th, 1907, when Gladys was born in Pennsylvania. Her father, George, was American, and her mother, Mary, was Trinidadian. I practice saying that. Trinidadian. <laughs> Trinidadian. Are you sure that's the correct term? They're not like Trinidad, Trinidadanites? Trida, Trinidadionians? Yeah. Trinidaditonians? Yeah. This is what it said on the wiki, so... Wiki's never wrong. 100% fact. <laughs> Everything on the internet is 100% fact. Oh, yeah. So, unfortunately, hers was not a happy childhood. She was the eldest of four children in a low-income family, uh, so Gladys struggled. It didn't help that Gladys' mother wished she had been a boy, which reminds me of, was didn't Sylvia Rivera's mother wish she was a... No, because she was a boy. Oh, she well, okay. Didn't she wish she was a girl? Like a genetic female? I don't remember. I thought there was some weird gender thing with her where, like, her, her parents wish she was this way or... No, because her dad abandoned her really young. That's and right. And her mom killed herself. Oh. So and grandma? grandma was raising her and didn't like that she was a feminist. Okay. Okay, that's it. God, I forgot how fucking sad that story yeah, was. Yeah. Thanks for bringing me down. You get to bring us back up. Okay. Well, it's we're going to have to work our way up there. <laughs> so uh, Gladys' mother wished that she had been a boy. Gladys later wrote in her life, quote, When they told my mother she had been uh, that she had given birth to a girl, she refused to touch me. She wouldn't oh. even nurse me. And my grandmother had to raise me for six months on a bottle before they could persuade my mother to take care of her own baby. That's heartbreaking. It's not even like the mother came around. They had to be like, You're Mary, taking care of your baby. Take your fucking kid. Get your shit together. Put it in a bag. Grow up and be a mom here. Right. Like, if you didn't want a kid, you shouldn't have had one. Well, she did want a she kid, but she a wanted boy. a boy. Yeah. 
Uh, this rejection made Glass resentful towards her brothers, and she hated the idea of a man touching her. Because yeah, obviously her yeah. brothers were the boys her mom always wanted. Which here's the thing, though. If you are like, if I don't have this type of child, I'm not going to be happy, don't fucking have kids. Just please don't. Right? Please. Save and us. Save save everyone. Adopt. And adopt the gender you want. Yeah. Do it. Just Just don't fucking have your own kids if you're going to be a shitty parent. So, from a young age, Gladys didn't conform to gender norms of the day. She wore boys' clothes, had a crush on a female elementary teacher, and didn't behave in a ladylike manner. She wrote, quote, It seems I was born different. At least I always thought I was. Disturbed by their daughter's lack of dress wearing, Gladys' parents took her to the doctor because, you know, this was clearly a medical oh, issue. clearly. Um, you're wearing pants? You How dare you? You probably have Ebola. Like, isn't that a symptom of Ebola? Swine you don't want to wear... <laughs> you don't want to wear dresses. You clearly have malaria. Gladys was later diagnosed with extreme social maladjustment, which is old-timey speak for not conforming to gender norms. And it's bullshit. This toxic home life drove Gladys to run away to Harlem when she was 16 years old in 1923. I mean, I can't fucking blame her. Right? Like, I probably would have ran away, too. Yeah. And let's just remember, this kind of shit is still happening. This isn't, like, a 1920s problem. No, not at all. Again, if you can't accept your kid, just don't fucking have one. All right? All right. Good to know we're on the same page. Gladys had a natural talent as a pianist and blues singer. She quickly found work as a performer, especially in speakeasies, which were popular during Prohibition. Yep. Because this is during... I was right about that time. Yeah. So America did this really fun thing for about 10 years where they were like, hey, what if booze was illegal? And then everyone in America was like, how about not? Yeah. I feel like, here's the thing, when you think of the Roaring Twenties, I instantly imagine everyone with a drink in their hand. Yeah. Drinking, dancing, you know, the flapper dresses. Yes. Like shorts, that was like the women's revolution. All of a sudden, people were wearing shorter skirts and stuff. And cutting their hair, which yeah. was a big deal at the time. But yeah, I think of booze. It's okay, because... I think, I think of like gangster run oh, yeah. speakeasies. That's oh, like yeah. what my mind goes to. Well, it's okay, though, because they re-legalized booze right in time for the Great Depression when everyone needed it and no one could afford it. Yeah, it was, it was great. <laughs> yeah. Way to go, America. Uh, she started out recording eight tracks of music for $400, hmm. which to me seems like kind of a lot say, now. Did, did you do a comparison? I didn't for this one, but I'm like, you're a 16-year-old runaway. 400 bucks is gonna pretty be huge, good money. Yeah. Then she heard that a local gay bar, Harry Hansbury's Clam House, was looking for a male pianist. And I'm imagining like a lesbian bar. It's called the Clam House. Right. That's the first thing on my mind. <laughs> Instantly, too. I was like, so is it a lesbian bar? <laughs> Already perfectly comfortable wearing suits, Gladys began playing there dressed as a man under the stage name Barbara Bobby Minton. She started out at $35 a week. So wait, they wanted a man, but she went by a stage name of a female. Yeah. So she dressed like a man had a stage name barbara bobby minton like maybe she mostly went by bobby i, I don't know. know i'm just saying they wanted a male pianist and she's going by a female name like that's really interesting well because women couldn't wear pants so they were just looking for someone who could wear pants and she's like hey i wear pants i can wear pants i love wearing pants i feel so free <laughs> it's all for the pockets man Oh, my God. Dresses today don't have pockets. Can you imagine the ones back then? Yeah. And those women were working in those dresses. Like, they weren't just to look good. Yeah. So, Glass started out at $35 a week and eventually went up to $125 a week yeah. due to her success. She became so popular that the bar was renamed Barbara's Exclusive Club after her stage name. I was really hoping that it was going to be like... Barbara's Clam Shack, or you know, something like that. <laughs> something that sounds hoping. something that like sounds so tacky. It's yeah. the Clam Shack. You know, that's where all the the hip people go and hang out. It's a shack. We got clams. We got jazz. It's a good time, right? Exactly. No one would think it's a speakeasy. Oh yeah. No, no, it's the Clam Shack. That's just where they all eat clams, right? right? It's, it's like it's like going to Maine. 
Yeah, it's no, it's Maine, Maine and Harlem. But yeah. What they got clams. I'm sure they do. Maine knows their clams. <laughs> Gladys then began performing at the Ubangi Club on Park Avenue, where she created her own musical review with a chorus of eight male dancers all Ooh. in drag. So she was a woman dressing in drag as a man, and she made a review of men. Dressing and drag as women. That's awesome. Yes! See, she's such a fucking firecracker. And, like, in a lot of the articles I read, they described how she was dressing, like, in drag. But I don't think she was, like, trying to pass as a man. I think she was just more comfortable in masculine clothing. Like, if today... She kind of looked like a magician in the one picture you showed me of her. I, I showed Kelly a picture, and I'll get into this. But she her signature look is this, like, white suit... With a cane and a white top hat. And she's like a bit of a bigger girl. And yeah. she just looks like she could rock your fucking world. Right? She looks comfortable. She looks strong. And she's just like, yeah, this is me. Fuck you. Yes. And I love it. But it's like nowadays we try not to gender clothing as much. I mean, we're getting there. So I'm like, her wearing a suit doesn't necessarily scream drag to me. Mm-hmm. I guess it all depends on how she viewed it. But she was just always more comfortable in men's clothing. But yeah. she didn't identify as a man. Yeah. So, like, I I don't really know how to classify it. I'm not an expert. I just have a podcast. I don't know shit. <laughs> <laughs> no, Emily. Everything you hear on the internet is true. We know everything. We know all the things. We're kind of a big deal. Kind of. So she started making enough money uh, that she was able to afford a $300 a month apartment on Park Avenue along with servants and a nice car. Like, I don't know anything about New York, but Park Avenue, isn't that a pretty big fucking deal? Yeah, it's a pretty big deal. And the fact that she had servants and a car in the 1920s, maybe 1930s-ish. It's really interesting that you say that because alternative sources say she may have actually been living in her girlfriend's penthouse. But I like to think she was making bank and, like, taking care of herself and her girlfriend lived with her. Yeah, maybe. (laughs) Glass's signature look was a white tuxedo and a white top hat. Her acts included overt sexuality, and her deep voice appealed to audiences across the sexual and racial spectrum. In her songs, she would call out misogyny and sing about sexual relationships, including her own with women. She was, like, not in, she was never in the closet. No, she was like, this is who I am. I wear pants, and I like to fuck women. Yes, because women are amazing. Remember, this is the 1930s and 20s, so this was a really big fucking deal. She would also put a sexy spin on popular songs of the day, like a really sexually charged Weird Al Yankovic. <laughs> I like to imagine. That, yeah, yeah. That's my I own assessment. wearing that kind of suit. <laughs> that's my own assessment of the situation. By 1933, Gladys was headlining at prominent nightclubs and theaters, including the Apollo. Oh, that's huge. Mm-hmm. Her skill didn't go unnoticed. Langston Hughes, who, if you don't know, is a big fucking deal. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Wrote of Gladys, and this is kind of a long quote, but it perfectly describes her. For two or three amazing years, Miss Bentley sat and played piano all night long with scarcely a break between the notes, sliding from one song to another with a powerful and continuous underbeat of jungle rhythm. Miss Bentley was an amazing exhibition of musical energy, a large, dark, masculine lady whose feet pounded the floor while her fingers pounded the keyboard, a perfect piece of African sculpture animated by her own rhythm. That's amazing. Let's remember I want to be described that way. This dude was a poet, so like... Yeah. <laughs> no, isn't that such an amazing description, though? Right, and it's not just the normal descriptions of, oh, she was beautiful. Like, no... She's this strong, powerful, masculine lady the who dances to her own beat. Like, that's of amazing. African sculpture. Like, that is boom. I fucking love it. In 1932, Gladys publicly married a white woman during a civil ceremony in New Jersey. Unfortunately, we don't know who the white woman was or much about their marriage. I didn't even know that was legal. Well, I don't think they were legally married. I think Unless it was she just. Said- she was a man. Well, I, 
she was pretty popular. I'm pretty sure everyone knew right? who she was. That's what I was thinking. And but... I think I think it was just like um, before same-sex marriage was legalized in the United States, couples would have commitment ceremonies where it's like, hey, we yeah. may not legally be married, but we're having a ceremony to declare our devotion to each yeah. other. Okay, that makes sense. Because fuck you, U.S. government. I'm gonna get my cake. I'm gonna have my party. I'm gonna I'm gonna cheers and we're gonna have a rehearsal dinner. We're gonna do the whole shebang and I don't need your fucking wedding license because fuck you. Exactly. But I'm glad they finally were able to get their wedding right. licenses, seriously. <laughs> do you remember when same sex marriage was legalized? It was such a big deal. We were we were living together at the time and I had like gotten home from work. I don't remember if it was you or your husband, but you were like, Oh hey, did you hear? And I was like no, it wasn't. Like, yeah, you were like, uh, yeah, right. And I was like, no, Minnesota like legalized same-sex marriage. Well, no, it was uh, oh, or the na- it was the, the nation. One? Yeah, because yeah, Minnesota didn't get on board until it was just nationally yeah. legal. And I was like, how did I go through my whole day and, and haven't heard of this? Yeah. Like, it's six o'clock. I remember o'clock. That you were kind of mad. You were like, come on. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I was super excited it was legalized, but I was like, what? I don't believe you. There's no way. And it was amazing. Like, it was a great moment. Yes. Progress. Getting there. Okay. So then the cat fight started. Meow. When, <laughs> when Gladys tried to take her show to Broadway in 1933, the owners of the Clam House Club uh, she had been playing at sued her, saying that the club had been built around Gladys's music and that they had a five-year contract with Gladys, Gladys and her performances. This led to a Supreme Court battle uh, as Gladys tried to take more control over her career. So she's like, I'm ready to move on and do bigger shit and bring my amazingness to a larger audience. And they're like, like, no, "No, because we're going to be sunk without you. Like, fuck you guys. Uh, Despite the suit, Gladys did move her act to Broadway. Unfortunately, she was too fucking awesome, and her raunchy performances caused people to get their pantaloons in a twist, and police began locking the doors of places she performed. Boo. Like, so people couldn't get in? I think it was, like, she couldn't get in. Wow. Yeah, so, like, people are complaining because they don't like what she's... So they're like, throwing no, you down. Can't per- we're going to lock the doors and you can't perform here. Exactly. Like, they were they were shutting her down before she even got a chance. Ugh, that's shitty. Which, like, since when did the police, like... Do that? When did... Since when did cops police art? Like, right. if you don't like a show, don't go to it. Right. Like, unless it's well, a I'm hate sure rally. Like, you know, back then it was probably, like, you know, Broadway was probably, like, super hoity-toity and, like, you know, so it was probably people paying the cops, like, hey, we don't want her. Well, also, she's a lesbian of color, so she doesn't really have rights in the first exactly. place. We're, we're talking about this as if she has rights like everyone else, when we know societally she just didn't. Yeah. Doesn't mean it doesn't make me mad. Yeah. No, I'm pissed. She was fucking wasted on these people. Right. That is know. that is the whole moral like of the story. It's like Josephine Baker. When, you know, she was living it up in France. Everyone loved her. She came back to the United States and they were like, mm, you're a woman of color. Get off the stage. Yes. God, it's so frustrating. And it's like, I would have loved to see these women perform in real life. I don't get the chance. And all of you past people I had the chance and you fucked it up. Fuck you, past people. You suck. They are wasted on you. Unfortunately, all of this bullshit forced her to move back to Harlem, where she performed at the Ubangi Club for three more years before it closed in 1937. And this place was, like, a really big deal in Harlem and during the Harlem Renaissance. And I I Googled it, and... Oh, God. You can't say Google in this house. Oh, shit. (laughs) The NSA's listening in. (laughs) Um, but this place was a really big deal during the Harlem Renaissance, and there's tons of articles and websites oh, sure. about it. It's still open, just under a different name. Because I didn't obviously get... it closed at some point, you said. Yeah, in uh, 1937. I didn't get into it. I didn't really care. But if you're interested, there's it's resources. There. It's a building. It's there. Yeah. Um, the decline of prohibition was great for everyone, especially wine-loving podcast hosts. Yay. Hey! High fives. Uh, but it resulted in the decline of Harlem speakeasies, which hurt Gladys's career. She moved to Southern California, where she played at gay nightclubs and was billed as America's greatest sepia piano player and the brown bomber of sophisticated songs. I don't think I've ever heard anyone of mixed races 
referred to as sepia before. It I actually have it in my notes. It took me a while to figure out what the fuck they were yeah, talking sepia about. Is that weird it's that old timey from old timey photos. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, what the I was like, no, because this is the time of sepia. Your photos are sepia. What the fuck like I don't know. Like, because I thought weird. it was, I thought it was like, oh, she's like old timey, and I was like, oh, no, it's, it's a racial <laughs> slur. Well, racial comment at the very, yeah, at the very yeah, least. True. It might not have been a slur. What hurt her more than the end of prohibition, however, was the government's increasing criminalization of the LB- LGBTQ plus community, due to which we all heard about last week. Oh my god! And this is even further back. Like yeah, exactly, things are not good. Uh, due to federal laws, Gladys had to carry a special permit to be allowed to perform in her signature suits. What do you have to do to qualify for a permit to wear pants? Right. Was, was, was it like I driver's mean, the ed? Fir- the first thing is you have to have a vagina and want to wear pants. That's step one. Okay. I have no idea what like... Step two would be, and then step three is get the permit. It's I'm, like uh, the underpants gnomes in, in um, <laughs> step, South Park. Step, step one, one, have a vagina, want, want to wear pants. Step two, step, step three, get a permit. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking A. But like, I'm imagining it's like driver's ed, like, okay, you need to demonstrate that you know how to put on pants. Can you walk in them? Can you walk in them? Can you run in them in case of an emergency? Can you sit without tearing your pants? Can you take them off quickly enough so you can have sexual relations with a man when he demands it? Yeah, that sounds about right. I don't think I, I don't think I would have been allowed to wear pants. No, I don't think I would, <laughs> I would have never qualified for that. I just permit. would have been like a pissy little bitch and not gotten my fucking permit. Right. <laughs> I would have gotten like a bootleg permit. Yeah. It's like people create fake IDs. I would have yeah, got my right. fake pants permit. <laughs> Like, I got, it'd just be one of those, like, you flash it real quick so they don't actually see what it is. Yes. Yeah, I got a permit. Like, do you get stopped on the street? Like, ma'am, 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 ma'am. Um, I, uh, I see you wearing pants, pants there. Can I, uh, do you have a permit to wear those pants? <laughs> do you have a permit? Reach for it very slowly because I'm feeling very threatened by your pants right now. <laughs> like, I don't know what's in those pockets. You're a lady. I don't fucking understand you. Ugh. Okay. So, she faced harassment for wearing men's clothes or, you know, just fucking existing. So, she's having a hard time just being her a lesbian of color who's... Wants to wear pants. Who wants to wear pants. Then, in the 1950s, everyone's favorite witch hunter came on the scene. U.S. Senator Joseph McCarthy, a.k.a. Wisconsin's greatest shame. Did you know uh, that? Did you know he I was in Wisconsin? I he's the greatest shame of Wisconsin. Hey, I know he's but competing. He's up there. <laughs> I know he's competing with Ed Gein, but he's fucking up there. Right, yeah. And a few other murderers, you know. Oh yeah, there's Jeffrey Dahmer of, was from Wisconsin. There's a lot of things too. that come out of Wisconsin. <laughs> Man, he is on a he's on a really terrible list. Yeah. So for those of you who don't know, McCarthy was an infamous fearmonger who was super popular during the Cold War era when everyone was waiting for Russia to nuke the United States. McCarthyism, the pra- or the practice of accusing people of treason, being a communist, or wherever else you felt like, was named after him. So his whole deal was everyone was afraid that communism was going to take over. Yeah. And so he's like, oh, hey, you stood in line with someone who knows someone from Russia. You're a fucking communist. Right, or he was the one that was like, oh, watch your neighbors. They could be communists. Like, he was really big on, like, everybody spy on everybody else because yeah. everyone's a fucking communist. Yeah, he's like, oh, you're you know the enemy next door kind of guy. Yeah. And if you spoke out against the government or against or this fear-mongering shit, you were a communist. Charlie Chaplin got uh, deported yeah, I because mean, it of was, that. It was a huge part of what was known as the Red Scare. Like, he yes. was a huge part of that. And he was a dick about it. Yeah, he was. Huge dick about it. But they weren't just looking for communists. They were just looking kind of for anyone who didn't meet this, yeah. like, all-American apple pie, white picket fence bullshit. It was kind of like America's ver- less scary version of Hitler. I don't know how I feel about that comparison. I totally get what you're but saying. Because they're because they're looking for people. They're looking for anyone to like, it's try like to persecute. Early Hitler. I mean, definitely when yeah, they started fascist. making him wear like 
stars and shit before the, you know, terrible, terrible thing. Yeah, there's definitely, like, some fascist undertones going on here. And it, it was just a really bad time. So for a woman of color who's a lesbian wearing men's clothes, it was not a safe time to be oh, around, no. especially there's because no she was in the spotlight. She couldn't just, like, hide under the radar. Everyone knew who she was. Just as a coincidence, Gladys suddenly began wearing dresses and married a man whom she'd only known for five months. <gasps> I wonder why. It's not like she was trying to keep from being persecuted by the government or anything. Right, or arrested or, you know, whatever. Otherwise harassed or, you know. Murdered. Murdered. Yeah, no, seriously. That's, that's definitely something that could happen. It was a legitimate fear. So she claimed she had been cured of her lesbianism by taking female hormones and undergoing an operation. She and her husband divorced later, and the dude later denied that he and Gladys were ever married. Like, this just all strikes me as cover bullshit, because she was such a, such a confident and outspoken and out person oh, yeah. that the fact that there's suddenly this complete 180 in denial i'm like there's so, i feel like some, there had to be something that happened like maybe someone like actually approached her or mm-hmm. you know like there was maybe some violence or you know like something that made her be like okay no i have to do this like right because she was so outspoken and there were so many times that they're like you can't do that and she's like well i'm gonna do it anyway watch me <laughs> That why would this time be different? So I almost think there has to be like there had to be like a sparking moment that she just didn't tell anyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I couldn't find like a a tr- a trigger moment or anything other than McCarthyism coming about. But I mean, you're right. There, there's probably something that we don't know about, right? Something that made her afraid enough to be like, okay, I have to start conforming, right? Which is awful. Because like maybe someone threatened her wife, or you know, like. And just that she's forced, like, back in the closet, basically. Right. Fucking And to be like, oh, I'm not a lesbian anymore, and I'm going to wear dresses, and, you know, la-di-da. Yeah. It's it's sad. Um, She also alleged that she was married to to another man, but that marriage could never be verified. So that could also be part of her cover. That she's like, oh. Just like, no, I'm married. I've been married to tons of men. I love dick. Yeah. I love stroking it and looking at it. And that's what dresses are for, right? Like. It's so There's no you, pants to take off then. You know, I really struggled with the pants taking off portion to get my permit, and I just figured dresses are easier. <laughs> On January 8th, 1960, at the age of 52, Gladys died unexpectedly from pneumonia in her Aww. Los Angeles home. It's just like a freak thing. Like, yeah. they originally thought it was Asian flu or well, something. Exactly. And like, that, that's kind of how pneumonia is. It's like... Sometimes you actually have something else, and then it turns into pneumonia, and then you die. I knew this girl where she was just, like, sick for a really long time, and we thought it was, like, oh, the cold and flu, and then all of a sudden, oh, by the way, she's in the hospital because she has fucking pneumonia. Yeah, one of my friends had that this year, actually. Like, she had, like, a cold for a really long, like, three or four weeks, maybe even, like, a month or two, and she finally, like, went in, and they were like, oh, yeah, you have a ton of fluid in your lungs. You have pneumonia. So you're going to stay here for a few days. Jesus. And that's the thing. Like, I hate going to the doctor unless I really deeply believe something right. is horribly wrong. And that's probably wrong. why it took her so long to go. Yeah. She's the same way. And I would be the same way, too. Well, because I don't want to pay to go to the doctor because it's fucking expensive. Right. Like, I have insurance and it's still expensive to go to the doctor. Yeah. That's a topic for another day. Yes. (laughs) Um, Just before her death, she had been ordained as a minister, but never got her official paperwork. So, so like, later on, she'd become really involved in the church, and, you know, she was wearing dresses and stuff. And, like, I hope the being a minister and working in the church genuinely made her happy, and it wasn't a part of this cover. But it just seemed like she had this really stark change in how she behaved and carried herself. Right. It's very odd. Yeah. Okay, legacy, because this is where we're going to bring it back up a little bit. Gladys was challenging societal norms of gender, sexuality, and entertainment from day one. Her masculine attire and public relationships with women in a time where being out was dangerous and unaccepted. 
Gladys never attempted to pass as a man, but displayed an energy of black female masculinity that challenged her audience's views on race and sexuality. She was a goddamn queen, and I desperately wish we could have seen her perform. Right? Like, I think that would have been a great show. And again, I shouldn't have to reiterate this, but she was wasted on everyone in the past. You guys did not appreciate her enough. No, it's but bullshit. we do. So, Gladys, I think you deserve an extra cheers. <laughs> I moved Kelly's wine glass away from her, so she's holding up her water cup. <laughs> Hold on. I finished my wine already. Clink! Even though I had more than Emily. Well, I was talking this whole damn time. Here. I'm pouring my wine into yours. I'm going to a movie, like, right after this, so I can only have a few sips of wine anyway. All right. I guess I will get on to my lady then. You know, I won't keep you waiting. You know what, Kelly? I got other shit to do. Fucking, you were invited. I know. It's my own fault. We're not going to talk about that. All right. Abandon me, you ass. My lady, and I'm going to apologize. There's a lot of French in this. What is wrong with you with all the French? Because she's awesome. She's so cool. You fucking love the French. I know, apparently. I don't think they love me for my pronunciation, though. Hey, if you live in France, give Kelly some love because I'm clearly not being supportive. (laughs) (laughs) So her name is Julie de uh, Abjani. That's what we're going to go with. Julie de Abjani. Yeah, there you go. Just like cop out at the end. Just like drop your jaw and just go. (sighs) Known as one of history's greatest rascals, also known as La Mapin, she is a sword-slinging opera singer and larger-than-life bisexual celebrity of the 17th century France. Her life was a whirlwind of duels, seduction, grave robbing, and convent burning, so intense that she had to be pardoned by the king of France. Twice. Fucking strap in, strap on, because it is going to be a wild yeah, ride, this, you guys. This girl's amazing. I am so, so excited. excited. <laughs> I am salivating. <laughs> That's what I do when I get excited. I salivate. Julie uh, was born in France around 1673, so we're going even farther back in time. Oh, my God. You just have to one-up me every fucking time, don't you? (laughs) She was the only child to a secretary to King Louis XIV's master of horse. So he wasn't the master of horse. He was the secretary to the master of horse. He took down all the horse notes. Um, So the master of horse was named Count de Armagnac. Um, and he was one of France's great nobles at the time. So that's the person her dad worked for. He was the horse guy. He yeah. was the horse guy. Um, so first she lived in the riding stable at the Tuileries Palace in Paris, where she learned to ride and take care of horses. Um, and then she moved to court with her father to the opulent Palace of Versailles in 1682. See, Versailles, I know how to pronounce. I was going to say, I recognize that name. <laughs> Even though it looks like Versailles. We're not not getting into that. That is what makes me question every single French word, because the ones I do know how to pronounce, I'm like, I would have never guessed. Right, exactly. So while her father worked in King Louis XIV's luxurious court, Julie grew up in the less glamorous quarters, namely the Great Stables. Because remember, her dad worked for the stable mess. So she's chilling with the horses. Yep. As the man in charge of training Lewis's pages, her father would fence nonstop during the day and hit up gambling dens, bars, and brothels in the evenings. When did he take his horse notes then? Apparently, he, the, his boss did the horses. Apparently, this guy trained the court pages. In fencing? In fencing. What? Is, I don't okay. know. I don't know what that fucking has to do with being a secretary of right? horses, but whatever. Um, Julie excelled at fencing from a very early age, and her father chose to educate his only child alongside the young boys he taught. It was while training alongside the court pages that her love for dressing up as a boy first began, because obviously you can't fence in a dress. I mean, you can, but I'm sure it's a lot easier to fence in pants. Right. Did she have to get a pants permit? No. (laughs) In 1687, the Count de... Armagnac, so her father's boss, okay, took her for his mistress when she was only 14 years old. Ew! It's kind of normal for the time. I don't fucking care. That's so gross. He then married her to Sieur de Maupin of St. Germain in Ley, and she became Madame de Maupin, or, or simply La Maupin, per the French custom at the time. 
However, soon after her wedding, her husband received an administrative position in the south of France, but the Count kept Julie in Paris. Okay, so she's married to this dude who moves away, and but then she's the, sleeping with the Count. And her then the Count, boss. the Count that's been fucking her since she was 14 gets to keep fucking her. Yeah, even though he's the one that married her off. What the actual... Because he knew he could keep her. Exactly. Like, oh, no, no, no. You're married and it's all respectable, but I kill, still get to keep yeah. fucking your underage ass. Gross. Yeah. Fucking oh, gross. I hate this. No. It, like, it legit gets better. Okay. She soon ran away to Marseille with her fencing instructor, Sarane, and after scraping a living between them from performing fencing demonstrations and singing at fairs and in taverns, um, which included impromptu shows by Lama Pin dressed in male clothing... However, she never she never um, concealed that she was a woman. Yeah, she's just, she just wearing more pants. Comfortable, yeah, and she was already so skilled with the sword at this point in her life. She quickly surpassed her lover, who was a fencing master, and the audiences would sometimes not believe that she was actually a woman. One time, a drunken onlooker proclaimed loudly that she was actually a man. So she tore off her shirt, providing him ample evidence to the contrary, and he had no comeback. <laughs> You're a dude. Do these look like a man's tits? Yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's exactly what she said. Historical yeah. quote. Like, <laughs> whining about her street cannon. <laughs> yep. On arrival in Marseille, she jo- she joined the opera company run by Pierre Gaultier. Your name sounds familiar. Maybe it's just because of my notes. Singing under her maiden name. Eventually, she, she grew bored of Serranes and became involved with a young woman, a local merchant's daughter. Get she's, it, girl. she's on to her third lover by now. Because she had the count, her fencing instructor, and now this woman. Okay. The merchant, desperate to separate the two, because, you know, two women, you. Gross. Um, sent his daughter to a convent. However, our heroine found a loophole. What did it did it uh involve a match and some gasoline and maybe some kindling? Maybe. Uh <laughs> Lama Pin followed. Um, and entered the convent as a postulant, which is like someone seeking to be like a nun or like yeah, you know, in like the church, a basically nun in training. Yeah, and she started hooking up with her intended in the house of God. Um, yes. In order to run away with her new lover, she stole the body of a recently deceased nun, placed it in the bed of her lover, and then set the room on fire to cover her escape. Oh my fucking god! This is amazing. Yeah. Their affair lasted for three months before the young woman was returned to her family by Lama Pin. <laughs> this woman has, like, a serious case of being allergic to boredom. I was gonna say, like, she burnt a dead body to break this chick out of a convent. She burnt a dead and nun. And three months later, she's just like, meh. I mean, how do you top burning right? down I a know. convent? It's crazy. She, I don't think I can, but I'm still gonna keep telling her story. Do you think she's like... The ladies in action movies where, like, she and the other character, like, they're so energized by all the adrenaline right. in an action scenario where they, like, fuck. Yeah. And then once that's over, like, those relationships aren't sustainable. Exactly. She was just, it's like... like they, they say if you want to, like, really make sparks, quote... I'm doing finger quotes. <laughs> I was say she's, like, enthusiastically um, doing finger quotes. <laughs> they say on your first date, yeah, take someone to, like, a horror movie because being scared... Like, and having that comfort is very akin to falling in love. Yes. Like, and it's, yeah, the same thing you see in action movies, that they're they're fueled by that adrenaline and fear. But, yeah, usually those relationships won't last. In the action movies, the horror movie is a good way to, like, kind of jumpstart things. Yeah. I actually, I saw this thing. It was um, a study. It was on TV years ago, so I don't even know if it's valid anymore. But they had a woman who was going around, and she she would, like, stand in a park. Yeah. And when men would come by, and she was like a cute young woman, yeah. she would ask them a series of questions for a survey and then give them her information, be like, oh, if you have any questions, call me. And she did this twice, one where she was just in a park and another time when she was on a bridge. And the men that she met on the bridge were like significantly more likely to call her. Interesting. Because just being on the bridge, that's a precarious like a heightened, place. Yep. Yeah. So there's a extra level of adrenaline in that's an really otherwise completely normal situation. That's super interesting. Yeah. I could see that. I'm kind of loving her though. Yeah, she's great. So at this point Lama Pin was charged in abs in absentia, which means she wasn't there to be charged. 
as a male. So she was charged as a male. Loophole! With, with kidnapping, body snatching, arson, and failing to appear before the tribunal. I mean, all of this is fucking true. Um, the sentence for this is death by, was death by fire. Oh, shit. Well, she's very accustomed with fire. Yep. At this point, Lama Pin left for Paris and again earned her living by singing. Near Poitiers, she met an old actor named Marichal who began to teach her until his alcoholism got the worst of him and he sent her on her way to Paris. What does that mean? I think he was just getting too drunk, so he was just like, I can't teach you. Oh, okay. So this is all while making her way to Paris. All right. In Ville Perdue, still wearing men's clothes... She was insulted by a young nobleman. They fought a duel and she drove her blade through his shoulder. Get it, girl. The next day, she asked about his health and found out that he was Luis Joseph de Albert Luenes, son of the Duke of Luenes. Later, one of his companions came to offer her apologies and she went to his room and subsequently they became lovers. <laughs> and later, lifelong friends. Oh my god. We like you talk about meat cutes. Yeah, How'd right. you guys meet? Well, oh, I stabbed him in the shoulder. He was being kind of a dick, and so I stabbed him in the shoulder. And we had a good laugh about it because he's like, "Yeah, I was being kind of a dick. I deserved it." Right. You know, it was just really sexy how she penetrated my shoulder with that sword. Yeah, right. And then she it's came to visit me, cute. and it was really cute. Yeah, right. God, me and Jared <laughs> need to up our game. We're not that cute. <laughs> So after the Count recovered, he had to return to his military unit, and Lama Pin continued on to ruin. There, she met Gabriel Vincent Thavenfard, Thavenard, sorry, there's an end in there, another singer, and began a new affair with him. Together, they returned to Paris, and on their first day there, while Julie was visiting her old lover, the Count de Armagnac... So the the first dude who's a piece of shit. To convince him to arrange a pardon for her little indiscretion in the province. It was a big misunderstanding. She didn't want to be at the convent. The nun was already dead. They believe in cremation anyway. So while she was over there convincing him to get her a pardon, Thevenard, her current lover, auditioned for the opera in Paris and was hired immediately. His only condition to join was that Julie also be allowed to audition, and the opera reluctantly agree. So, by the age of 17, she found herself a member of one of the world's greatest musical companies. Wait, so she has done all of this, and she is only 17 at this point? Makes you feel like an underachiever, doesn't it? Oh my god, I am wasting my life. I have stabbed so few men. We have a podcast. (laughs) I have burnt down so few comments. I need to burn down a convent. (laughs) That's all you need to catch up. So the the Paris Opera hired her in 1690, and there she befriended an elderly singer. Oh, so she did get pardoned. So that's her first pardon by the king. Oh, okay. So she befriended an elderly singer named Bouvard, and he and Thevenard convinced Jean-Nicolas de Francine, master of the king's household, to accept her into the company. So it was through Thevenard's convincing convincing and somebody else that she swung his dick around for good. Um, she be- she debuted in Paulus Athena in Cadmus et Harmony by Jean-Baptiste Lully the same year. She performed regularly with the opera, first singing as a soprano and, la- more- and later in her more natural contralto-, contralto range. That's actually my range, too. That is the lowest range um, for an alto. See, I know there's... Like soprano one, soprano two, and alto. I didn't know there were different altos, but yeah, that's there because is. and then yeah, contralto is like the lowest female range. Okay, because like when I sing in Which treble choir, one hundred percent in that range because I can sing almost to bass level. Do it, but no. do it. Nope, do it. Nope. If you want to hear I'm, Kelly sing I need bass, more wine. <laughs> if you want to hear Kelly sing bass, email us at whiningabouthistory at gmail dot com. Did I embarrass you? I'm yes, sorry. A little bit. The Marquise de Dangu wrote in his journal of a performance by Lama Pin given at the Trianon of, oh gosh, of Distoches en Fall in 1701 that hers was, quote, the most beautiful voice in the world, end quote. She's People like, liked her. She's like not real. I can't imagine this being a real person and I love it because she's a badass. She's a strong sexual being. She's a great singer. She's a great swordsman. Like, right. 
So her name slightly changed as she entered, when she entered the opera, because, you know, she went by La Maupin, as was kind of what happened in France to married women. But as an actor, she became Mademoiselle de Maupin, because singers were always addressed as Mademoiselle, whether they were married or not. Okay. Due to her beautiful voice, her acting skill, and her androgynous attire, she became quite popular with the audience, although her relationship with her fellow actors and actresses were sometimes temptuous. She famously beat the singer uh, Louis Garnaud de Mency after he pestered women of the, tr- of the members of the troupe. She responded by ambushing him, pushing a sword in his face and demanding a duel. Oh my god. When he refused, on the grounds that he was obviously a coward, she beat him with a cane, stealing his snuff, block and, snuff box and watch. I'm the next, taking these. Yeah. The next day, she caught him complaining that he had been assaulted by a gang of thieves. <laughs> She called him a liar and a coward, threw his watch and snuff box at him, and declared that she alone had architected his ass beating. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. He got beat so bad by one lady where he's like, it was like It was a gang dudes. of people. And she's like, nah, fuck you. It was 20 dudes. They all had guns. They were all like eight feet tall. And she's like, bitch, we all know what happened. I have proof. Here's, here's your shit. I orchestrated your ass beating myself. Right. At some point during her career in the opera, um, she had a legendary duel of wits with Thevenard, who at one point was her lover. It doesn't say if they were still lovers at this point. Her fuck buddy. And apparently it became quite the talk of Paris, although there was no details on it. At this point, she also fell in love with Fanchon Moray, who was another singer and the mistress of the Grand Dauphine. The Grand Dauphine is... The first son of the king. I was going to say he's right. the prince. Yeah, so he's the crown prince. Yeah. Um, Damn. And she tried to commit suicide when she was rejected. <gasps> oh my god, someone actually rejected her? I was yeah. really I'm hoping... I'm sure if you're like with the prince, you're like, I, I can't. Like, I can't. Whether I want to or not, this is probably not a good idea. Right. I was really hoping for a, she was so sexually powerful, she stole the prince's gal. I don't know, I like this next section though. Okay. In, 19, in 1695, her Paris career was interrupted when she kissed a young woman at a society ball and was then subsequently challenged to duels by three different noblemen who were trying to woo the girl. No, she, no, 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 no. We want to fuck her. Right. And then once we beat you, we'll fight each other. Right. <laughs> they obviously had to go outside, you know, like, because everyone was like, uh, if you're going to do this, go outside. She fought all of them at once and um, beat them all. However, in doing so, she fell afoul of the king's law that forbade duels in Paris. Oh, boo. However, this fight entertained Louis XIV so much that he pardoned her from any punishment. Um, And even though he had pardoned her, musing that the law governed men but didn't say anything about women. Oh, shit. um, She still fled to Brussels to wait until calmer times. He was just super jazzed because she was the first one that's like, you want to take this outside? I love that he was amused (laughs) and he's like, nah, you're fine. This is fucking awesome. And I love that he was kind of like contemporary in that it's like, well, all of our men, all of our laws state that it's about men. We don't define anything about being a woman and doing this stuff sometimes sexism works in our favor i love that rarely and it's bullshit either way but good for her so as she fled to brussels she briefly became the mistress of maximilian ii emmanuel elector of bavaria however their relationship did not last too long because apparently the elector uh was a bit bothered and thought she was a little intense when she stabbed herself on stage with an actual dagger the See, the stage blood didn't look real right. enough. <laughs> to get rid of her, he offered her 40,000 francs to leave and never contact him again. Supposedly, she threw the coin purse at his emissary and started swearing at him. In some versions, she also kicked him down the stairs. Sweet. Which were totally, you know, whining about her history. Canon. Yes. Head canon. It happened. Right. From there, she went to Madrid. She found herself working as a maid to Con- Countess Marino, whom she resented so much that one night before a grand ball, she helped the Countess dress and filled the Countess's hair with radishes so that everyone else but the Countess could see them. Oh my god. Needless to say, she was on the road back to Paris before the Countess arrived home. Were there, like, no mirrors in France? I mean, in the 1600s, maybe not. 
That's hilarious. That's such a like playful prank right? too. Especially, She's like, I hate you, so I'm gonna make you look bad in this society at a society ball. Because fuck you. Considering that she has stabbed herself and burnt down a fucking convent right? to get what she people. wants. <laughs> radishes in the hair is actually like you got off easy. Right. It's funny. So at this time, she did return to the stage, performing at the Court of Versailles and appearing once again in most of the major opera productions of the time. She also introduced um this is this is when she really started introducing the italian idea of the contralto because apparently that was an Mm -hmm. italian thing and kind of like bringing it more to france okay she defended chorus girl oh nope it just mentions again that um she and thevenard as as she was doing all this she and thevenard remained best friends until her retirement and although they had some infamous spats (laughs) and one and to the point where one evening on stage, she bit his ear so hard, he bled. Oh, my God. Yeah, I know. I Kelly, I love you, and I'm very confident in our friendship, but if you try to bite my ear off, it's over. Right. I have a line. Yeah. And at, it's ear biting. I know, right? <laughs> at this point, um, she at, at her opera career, she had also threatened to blow the Duchess of Luxembourg's brains out and ended up in court for attacking her landlord. You know, she's just doing all these things. She's an aggressive lady. Yep. It's worked out for her, though. She appeared um, for the last time in La Ventine by Marco de la Barra in 1705. So that was her last opera performance. However, before that, skipping back just a little, in 1703, so two years before she left the opera, she fell in love with Madame la Marquise de Florensac. The, quote, most beautiful woman in France, end quote. So beautiful that she, too, had to flee to Brussels for several years because of the eldest son of France again. So that stupid Dauphine um, was apparently obsessed with her So because she was so beautiful. So the, the Prince of France is married to a woman that this lady wants and gets rejected, but then he's obsessed with this other chick. Yep. That Lama Pin is actually like they're in a relationship. That would. Why isn't this a TV show? Right? Why isn't Lama Pin's life a fucking TV um, show? Uh, La Florenzac was also one of the most famous, wealthy, and well connected women in France at the time. The two women lived, according to one account, in perfect harmony for two years until De, De Florenzac died of a fever when Julie was only 31. Oh, so that, w- no. that would be 1705. Distraught, Lama Pin entered. A convent where she died at the age of 33. The one she didn't burn down. Yeah. In the words of one, I would like to I would like to think she went back to the one she burned down. Like they just get done rebuilding um, it. She rolls back up. Right? She's like, guys, guys, I'm sorry. I'm here to do the work. Let's like bygones be bygones. Forgiveness is kind of your thing. Right. So as, in the words of one biographer, quote, destroyed by an inclination to do evil in the sight of her God and a fixation and a fix a fixed intention not to, end quote. After which he also claims, quote, her body was cast upon the rubbish heap, end quote. Wait, um, when she when she died, they just threw her away? Nobody really knows. What? Um, but it, it is funny because it does say um, the refuge, the comment she took refuge was probably in province, which is where that first convent was they were um, just biding their time they're like yeah come on come on join us it's totally fine right. the second she dies we're throwing her in the garbage so as i said um she died in 1707 at the age of 33 or so they assume That's she has so no known grave young. Well, i mean her lover died at 31 well oh well and she was 31 i guess it doesn't say how old the lover was that's that's why she was getting so much shit done so early because she was only going to be on this earth for like 30 some right? years as with anything that's kind of from that time period, um, there is a lot of mystery resu- res- surrounding um, this life, and we can't know which parts are true and which are not. Um, I did, one of the main sources I used was someone that, like, that was their, like, life. They wrote a book about her, mm-hmm. which I read, like, bits and pieces of, and it's actually really good. It's called Goddess. Um, and I so love he that. did, like, super intense research research and he you know he was like to the best of my knowledge this is the truest story from all these compiled resources i did so hmm, you know it's hard to know but whining about her street head canon it's all fucking true um, she did everything right 
There are some people that expect, uh, speculate that her birth date and place of birth are, are possibly incorrect, as well as her real name. Well, her professional name was Mad- Mademoiselle Maupin, um, and she was cheered by crowds as La Maupin. Acquaintances often addressed her as Emile, or Emile, in their letters, while Thevenkred called her Julia. She has also been known as Madame de Maupin and Madeline, though she is best known as Julie de Aubigny, which is... Right. What they think is her birth name. After her death, her life story was reported in a number of articles, um, and I took this directly from the person I read it from. So, usually in the pearl-clutching, vapor-having tone of high-society women that they might use to describe the Bride of Satan. Because, <gasps> you know, like, it. obviously. Several of these stories claim that she had a massive change in heart and became re- re- religious and rejoined a convent. Given that these articles seemingly only exist to use her life as a morality tale, I'm not sure how literally to take them. Mm-hmm. Um, however, there are some people that agree that she actually spent her final years reunited with her husband and lived fairly peacefully. That's right. You have to remember, during this whole thing, she's technically married. Yeah, but he fucked off to the south of France, so he doesn't fucking matter. Right. Uh, the, the quote from the one article was, don't worry if you forgot about it. It sounds like she did, too. <laughs> Um, that's amazing i didn't write a legacy section um but there are plenty of you know research articles and books like i said one guy wrote a book called goddess i did read excerpts from it and i plan on buying it it does sound really good so that's probably the one i would recommend Mm -hmm. as i used a lot of his research she is also on rejectedprincesses.com so i'd check out that one too because he's a little more humorous you know the one guy is obviously like very historical whereas rejected princesses you know He's a little more animated animated, and kind of like, well, I think this is what happened. But the drawing is pretty cool because it's her running away like with a nun with a convent burning in the background. I think I saw sweet. that one. So, yeah, she was 100% a certified badass and didn't care who she was seducing at the time. She just, you know, she was like, you're the person I like. I'm going to be with you probably only for a few months, but... You do you, girl. You know what I love about her is, like, she kind of doesn't need a legacy section because a lot of the women we talk about, they have this, like, um, lasting impact. You know, they were politically active or they were openly gay when it wasn't okay to be. And that's, like, a really powerful thing. She was just kind of fucking living to the extreme. She was fucking who she wanted. She was killing who she wanted. She was burning what she wanted. Well, I I like that people are like, oh, some of the some of the things are speculation, but it's like, no, we know she lived because people like there's references to Lama Pin, right? Like, so it's like, yeah, some some things may not be true, but or exaggerated, it probably is. You know what? If you tell me this isn't true, I will fight you in a right. duel and I'll beat you I so will, bad yeah, that you think that you tell everyone a bunch of thugs did it and me and my little five foot ass are going to roll up and throw your shit in your face and be, and be like, like, no, <laughs> I orchestrated your ass kicking. Yeah, I'm the architect of your ass beating. I, I want that tattooed on me. <laughs> I am the architect of your ass beating. That would be a great tattoo. Oh my God. Someone get that tattooed and then send us a picture because that is the best thing in the world. Right. You will be our best friend forever. I love it. It's like there are those inspirational quotes where it's like, be the be the author of your own life story. It's like, no, be the architect of your own badassery yeah. and everyone else is right. ass beating. That's fantastic. We're ending on such a high note today and I'm really excited We're like about both it. both like super jazzed. I know. <laughs> I'm good. I'm really excited because like I had some some highs and lows this week, but I came out okay yeah i think today for me in general kind of ended i mean obviously it's not over but like yeah the rest of the week was kind of shitty but today was at work was kind of okay it was kind Mm -hmm. of mellow and then like our stories are really good and Mm -hmm. like it's good ending to the week yeah or you know beginning of the week for you guys that's right that's right this comes out monday happy monday yeah and have a wonderful week i hope we're like the highlight of your monday i know for some people we are because I know like my sisters told me like she's like I get so excited on Mondays and I'm like you know you can like watch it or listen to it at some point like during the week like it's not gonna go away and she's you like you could listen she's to like it. no it's like the highlight of my Monday like oh I look forward God. to it Lindsay honey you need to reevaluate your life no I'm kidding <laughs> no keep listening to the podcast let us be the light of your life we love it mm-hmm. it feeds us right 
Well, what are you thankful for this week, Kelly? My dear, my darling. I think I'm thankful just for the week ending on a high note. Like, or hopefully for you guys starting on a high note. Like, just this, the feeling I have right now of, like, I'm less stressed. Like, I feel good. I got to spend time with you. Like, you know, everything just feels positive right now. Positive vibes. I'm really glad. I'm feeling a lot that a lot of that too. I've got this. So I took on a new position at work and it's been, it's a ton more responsibility. It's a lot more work and I've been so stressed about it. It's been a lot high, extreme highs and extreme lows and it's been a struggle. So I've kind of got this like thread of anxiety that is always running through me and I'm having a hard time like keeping that down even right now because I'm like the week is over I can completely tune out work but I'm like you're still thinking about things in the back of your mind well I'm like okay what is Monday gonna bring like what what did I fuck up today that's gonna come back to haunt me tomorrow but I got to record with you these stories were amazing I'm gonna go to a showing of Jaws later today which I'm super excited about yeah and I'm going to see King of Monsters tomorrow with my buddy because I have another podcast where I uh, Mm. shoot the shit about movies. (laughs) I'm just going camping this weekend. I'm excited to kind of like get away. And then we are actually being interviewed about our podcast. On a podcast. On a podcast. What's the name of the podcast? It is uh, 9 O'Clock Meltdown hosted by Crystal. I'm not going to share her last name. I don't know if that's her deal. Um, but we are, we're being interviewed. She, her podcast is that she interviews different creatives and just, you know, it's just like a conversation. It's really fun. So we're really excited to be on it. Super fucking anxious. So, uh, we're recording this on a Friday. We're doing the interview on Sunday. I'm not sure when it'll be out, but we'll keep you updated. Yeah. We'll definitely post it on, you know, Facebook, maybe even get a little blurb for Instagram or something. Oh, we're blasting this. Yeah. It's a big deal. I'm really excited. This is our first interview. I know. I'm oh, like, my God. oh, my God. We're Ho- getting out there. Hopefully not the last. No, hopefully not. Hopefully we'll be able to, like, co-podcast with a bunch of other creatives. That'd be super fun. I would love to, like, co-podcast. Um, if you're out there with the Wine and Grime gals, do, like, something on, you know, like, female killers or, you know, kidnappers or just something. They've done episodes. Like, those are my favorites where they uh, profile female killers. Because right. I find them so fascinating. And so I think that would be, like, cool if we did, like, maybe historic female killers. Like, I know they've covered... Um, Elizabeth the of Butcher, Yeah, the, the Butcher of Bathory or whatever. Yeah. But, like, I'm sure we could find, like, people people haven't heard of. Like, oh, yeah. So there are a lot cool. of... So if you're out there and you're listening, Wine and Crime Gals, give us other Minnesotan gals a shout and let's let's do something. We'll, uh, we'll split some wine and some lutefisk. And... <laughs> I fucking... I'll, I'll leave you to the lutefisk. No, I, I can't. It's awful. How about some casserole? Oh, some hot dish? Some hot dish. Tater tot hot, hot dish? Oh my god, that sounds so good. I'm sure so I can good. find a wine that can pair with it. We'll go to the Minnesota State Fair and get the, get the bucket of cookies. Yeah, get everything on a stick. Everything on a stick. Hot dish on a stick. That actually is a thing. <laughs> I know. I know there's people out there in the world listening going like, what the fuck is hot dish on a stick? But it exists. Oh, well, we'll look at I've the... I've never had it. We'll look at the exists. butter sculptures. They also have like deep fried butter on a stick, which sounds disgusting. I bet they have wine on a stick. It's a popsicle. <laughs> Ooh, that would actually be really good. We might have to like go and look for that this year. It's a boozy popsicle. That'd be delicious. All right. We should probably let these poor people go. Thank you so much for listening. Please hit us up on Facebook at Whining About Herstory, Instagram at WAH Pod, uh, Facebook at Whining About Herstory. I just and, said that. Oh, <laughs> that's right. You always do our social media website, whiningaboutherstory.com, and email, whiningaboutherstory at gmail.com. Hey, if you want us to feature a woman that you know in our Say Their Name segment, please email us their story. We'd love to read it on air. We can also feature you if you like, you know, like maybe you're doing some really awesome project. Let hey, us know. self-love. Acknowledge you're a fucking badass. Right. Look in the mirror. Don't and go be burn like, any convents. You're a badass. You're a badass anyway. Yeah, yeah. You don't have to. We do not advocate burning convents. No, I no. know we were. That was in like 1600s or 1700s France. We do not advocate it in modern day. I know we came off pretty pro-convent burning, <laughs> but we're not. Seriously, don't do it. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for listening. This has been Whining About Herstory. I'm Emily. I'm Kelly. And have an empowered day. Bye. Bye.